Today, we speak to the woman behind one of the most successful interior design firms in New Hampshire about what it takes to create welcoming commercial spaces that also reinforce a business's brand. I'm Matt Mowry, Executive Editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, Chief Growth Officer of Granite Media Group and founder of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. We're very lucky. Um, In many ways, because but, but how so? Every time we get to come and sit at this table, we we just talk with with fascinating human beings. Um, I, I and I even said this as our guest came in. I'm a fanboy. Yeah, uh, because we do these um, sections occasionally called awesome interiors, yeah. where we ask. Um, uh, construction companies, interior design mm-hmm. firms, and, and architects to submit um, mm. projects that they've worked on. Right. And um, her projects and her firm's projects are always just um, exceptional. Yeah, um, that's and, the word and, for you know, it. It is. And I have to say, you know, <laughs> in our household, our roles are a bit reversed. Like, things are going wrong with the car. I turn my wife in. I'm like, I have no idea. This is, this <laughs> is your your... Your purview. And then, you know, when we have to like decorate the house, she's like, go at it. I have no idea. So, you know, and I, I don't have it. that much skill. So when I, I meet someone that has that, uh, you know, I'm very jealous. I love it. Well, you know, what's you know, what's neat too. And, and I'm excited to dig into it is the sort of um, that like right brain, left brain, right? Like mm-hmm. you're, you're a designer and now you're the president of the firm, and you know, so I'm I'm really curious to dig into how uh, the the analytical parts and that that you know the operations and the the CEO stuff mixes with being a designer, or one you know helps or hinders the other in in a way. Absolutely, and then also going to the we're going to explore the whole um, design process because <sighs> I think people don't appreciate at times. I know the level of thought um, that goes into. You know, it's not like, oh, we, we made it look pretty. No, we made it a welcoming space that is functional and carries yeah. this company's brand right. um, and communicates that all visually to you in the split second that you've walked in. Right. I mean, that to me is a fascinating process. Yeah. We have so much to delve into. We do. We do. So let's get there. Our guest this week is Janella McDonald. As president of Stibler Associates, she leads one of the nation's outstanding design firms handling projects from the corporate, healthcare, hospitality, and senior living sectors. Stibler Associates has a 35-year history of award-winning signature projects in New England and beyond. A native of New Hampshire, Janella has studied art and design in Boston and Paris. She's a distinguished record of civic and professional involvement and exhibits a long-term commitment to the creative economy and the positive impact that design excellence has upon our communities. Janella, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really fun to be here with you guys. Well, I'm glad you think it's fun because we're just excited to have you and, and dive right into this. Um, you, as we sort of uh, mentioned in, in our uh, bit of banter there in the beginning, are an, a very accomplished designer and business leader. So, um, But was that path to today's success always clear for you? Is this always like, this is what I want to do? Or has it been a circuitous route? Tell us that story. Well, a little, <laughs> a little bit of both, actually. Okay, cool. So I, I do think I've been fairly a goal-driven, pointed towards a certain direction type of person. Yeah. Um, I was very interested in interior design as soon as I discovered it, which uh, was 
in high school because back in my day there was no HDTV. <laughs> so <laughs> back in my day, <laughs> it was uh, it was um, something that I sort of stumbled acro- uh, across in an uh, almost uh, uh, economics class oh, where they sort of touched on. Um, the concept of art and design. I thought, ooh, what's that? That's interesting. Hmm. Um, signed myself up for an Architectural Digest subscription. <laughs> oh, oh, that is a good one. And, uh, and then thought that I might be interested in that. It took There wasn't a lot available at my high school at the time, but there was a drafting class. So mm. I dabbled in that. I said, this is really fun. Um, but when it came time to look for colleges, I checked out a couple of art schools and Back then, having blue hair and lots of piercings was a little bit more unusual than the norm, which I think it is now. <laughs> Wait, did you have blue hair? And I did piercings? not. Okay. And that's okay. why I was like, mm, I don't know if this is the right setting for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I was much more comfortable pursuing um, a liberal arts degree mm. uh, and got my bachelor's. But as I worked through college, I kept pushing like the idea of interior design. Mm-hmm. I did an internship with uh, an interior designer in Manchester, Megan Whitehouse, and she was fabulous. Um, and that's really what got me hooked. I said, I want to do what this lady is doing. Huh. This is awesome. Interestingly, she was doing residential. And again, that was all I was aware of at the mm-hmm. time. Sure. So I eventually made my way to a master's program in interior design because I figured I might as well keep that trajectory going instead of starting over with another bachelor's. <laughs> and luckily, there was a great program in Boston, which is where I wanted to be. And it was at school that I discovered commercial interior design. And then I was like, okay, now I'm really hooked. Oh. Um, and the firm that I worked with um, while I was going to school did a little bit of both, mm-hmm. uh, mostly residential, but some commercial. And mm-hmm. each of the commercial projects was like, yes, I think this is where I want to be. So when I had the opportunity to work full-time in commercial interior design um, at Stibler Associates, mm. I had landed my dream job. Nice. Yeah. So, but what what was it about, what was the difference, I guess, between the, the residential and commercial that you went, I want this? <laughs> yeah, so there are a couple of things. To me, the biggest thing is that commercial design gives you the opportunity to use your unique set of design skills to benefit a wider um, range of people. True. So if you're thinking about a hospital or Mm -hmm. a hotel or uh, a corporate office that serves, whether it's 25 people or uh, 300 people, Mm -hmm. you're having a wider reach. um, And that was a lot more appealing to me um, Mm. than a single family residence. And I also really liked the business to business aspect of working um, with others who had sort of a similar mindset around meeting efficiencies and um, goal oriented and it was more structured. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I didn't know at the time that, that I would be a business owner, but that, that sort of all sort of to make sense as life evolved. So can we talk a bit about the history of the firm and then how did you go from working in the firm to leading it? I would love to. So Phyllis Stibler is the founder of our firm. She started it um, actually 40 years ago. So I guess I need to update that bio information I sent you. Um, So yeah, we had our 40th (laughs) anniversary this past summer. And when I went to work for Phyllis, I hit the jackpot, my dream job. And, but I was in and out of the office from a full-time basis to a part-time basis, sort of weaving in as I had children. Mm-hmm. So they were little, life was changing. Um, I always had work as part of my life, um, but not always in a full-time capacity. And prior to having children, I kind of looked at my my father, who was a business owner, and I thought, mm, 
yeah, I could see myself wanting to do this. Mm-hmm. Once I started to work for Phyllis, um, especially after I wasn't in the office full time anymore, I wanted, I told her later, I would come and work for you for free. Just let me come to the <laughs> office. <laughs> so the idea of owning my own business or doing something different sort of flew out the window. Mm-hmm. And it was a few years later, the kids were still fairly young when she approached me about potentially transitioning into ownership of the firm. And I told her straight out, you're insane. I can't, <laughs> I can't do what you do. <laughs> and somehow, without ever saying yes, we went from that lunch <laughs> to... Um, Here we are. Yep, going through the whole process oh, that's um, funny. from an internal perspective to announcing it to the world. It and just, it what just was happens. the... <laughs> evolution of your mindset during that because that i mean that is from going from i absolutely can't do that it's kind of setting up your own barriers to it Mm -hmm. to going yeah i think this is i want to take this on what changed in your own mindset over that that time that allowed you to remove barriers that this is even a possibility Mm. to something you wanted to take on yeah that and that's truly all to phyllis's credit she held my hand, told me that I could do it, um, and walked me through the steps to make it happen. Uh, And we had a longer-term transition set up, which gave me the confidence that she wasn't going anywhere. And she had every incentive, um, both from a financial standpoint as well as a personal standpoint, to see me succeed and, and for her to see her firm that meant so much continue successfully into the future. So I really, she had my back the whole time. And so did the rest of the team as well. Um, You know, that was potentially the hardest day of my life was the worry about announcing it to the rest of the the team Mm -hmm. um, that I was going to be transitioning from designer and just regular colleague into owner, and I detest the word, but boss. And they were all so supportive and just said, Whatever, what do you need? How can we help? Yeah. And we're that way through all of that learning curve and things that came, the challenges that came with the transition piece. Um, so I was fully supported by Phyllis and the whole staff. And how the experience of having been an employee in the firm inform your leadership of the firm, you know, and, and how, th- what you wanted to continue, what you might want to change, what the culture you wanted to um, either continue or create was? I think that was uh, in many ways kind of a perfect storm scenario that we had this change in leadership at the same time that there was a cultural change happening in offices at large, mm-hmm. meaning that we were really moving away from um, a hierarchical approach to office design and um, leadership roles being a little bit more of a flat organization. And that was something that was really helpful in an to me, uh, from a leadership standpoint, but also important because I kind of came from that perspective that we were all on the same team playing the same game. You know, we didn't we didn't have um, there was no such thing as the corner office. And in fact, to help facilitate that, Phyllis had moved out of her office and we turned that into a conference room. So truly, none of us had had offices. We all worked together as a group. Um, and the perspective of being, uh, you know, a mother with young kids that are growing and just the challenges that come with running a business and taking care of your family, that um, I think helped accelerate the level of change and flexibility in our um, office, whether it related to kids or you had to take your dog to the vet or, um, you know, you just wanted to um, have flexibility to 
take a class. Um, those things all, I think, were accelerated because of the timing of what was happening in office culture at large, but also because of our personal transition and sort of what my needs for the firm were um, at the same time that we were already making this other big change. Nice. I'm curious. Um, well, you you, you tra- transitioned from, obviously, from designer to owner. Ownership comes with a number of, of different responsibilities, things you need to know, tasks that need to be done, all of that. Um, when you were studying years ago, uh, was there um, was any of that uh, in in your education as well in terms of you know the business acumen and, and learning to run a business and the basics of that along with design or was it very strictly a you know a design uh, focused degree and, and learning? Yeah, they. I think there's some one semester small class that probably touches on <laughs> the business aspect. So entrepreneurship 101 for yes. you know a few days. Oh. Exactly. Um, I think that my education in the business side of things has come from the experience of mm. uh, and the benefit of working in small businesses. So I grew up working um, for my dad. That was a, a, re- a lumber operation. So oh, wow. nice. you know, I suppose building materials are tangentially related to what I do. Um, but, you know, grading lumber is a skill that I don't use day to day in an interior design firm. But but could you do it? I yeah. probably could still do it. Yeah. Nice. nice. Um, being able to watch other small business owners in action, um, mm-hmm. and that's lessons of both what to do and what not to do. Um, so anytime I had exposure through my own work experience to watch how people did things, what they did, uh, and then again, Phyllis gave me the complete behind-the-scenes tour um, of you know how to run that particular business. I don't. I think Phyllis did a lot of on-the-job training as well, um, similar to my own experience. It was an education first and foremost in interior design uh, at that professional level, and then the business sort of comes in around you. Um, so I have taken um, s- some educational elements here and there along mm. the way that have been beneficial when I know sure. I have a weakness in the finance area. Okay, I need to address that and, mm-hmm. and focus on that piece. But uh, a lot of it's been absorbing it through others' experiences and then learning on the job. There's a ton of value in that. Nice. We'll be right back. McLean Middleton is a full-service law firm with over 100 attorneys and 25 paralegals throughout its five offices in Manchester, Concord, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, they've been providing exceptional legal services to businesses, individuals, and nonprofit organizations across the region. Visit McLean.com for a complete list of practice areas and attorneys. Okay, we are back with Janella McDonald, president of Stibler Associates. So let's delve into design. Yes. But first, I want to set the table for folks. And I mean, your firm has done work for some of the biggest names and businesses in in the state. Can you give them some ideas of some of the companies that you've worked for? Sure, be delighted to. Um, Currently, we have a number of projects that we're working on with... um, Coca-Cola Beverages Northeast. It's a longtime client of Stibler Associates. Um, gosh, one of the first projects that I worked on in 2004, I think, um, was a Coca-Cola project. But we're um, wrapping up some of uh, facilities upgrades and s- some really fun uh, branded design for them in some of their further afield locations, um, such as uh, Syracuse, uh, New York, Buffalo, New York, 
um, starting to work on uh, headquarters in Needham, Mass. Um, but we also do quite a bit of work for them uh, in the offices that are right next door to our own here in Bedford. Um, oh, wow. So we're, we're neighbors with them. Cool. So long-term relationship, and that's a really fun brand to work with because, I mean, there's so many really cool things you yeah. can do with an iconic <laughs> brand like Coca-Cola. Um, when you think about big brands, um, we did, designed the headquarters for Planet Fitness uh, in Hampton, New Hampshire. Nice. And continue to, to stay in touch and do some work with them from time to time. Um, Win Waste Innovation, mm-hmm. you'll see they've had a major branding push recently. You'll see their trucks and dumpsters and things all around the state. And they moved into New Hampshire's first CLT, um, the cross-laminated timber building down in Pease. And uh, that's a really fun project because not only is the working in that building really cool, the design itself is, again, very branded. Um, mm. And so it, it really pushes the boundaries on creativity. And our listeners will be able to see your work on that project, actually, in our April issue in the awesome interior section. So, But we'll talk, I want to delve in some more about specific design elements in some of these projects. Um, this is such a competitive industry that you're in, and... Um, but you've Stipulator Associates, obviously, just based on some of the clients that you've named, has worked with some of the biggest brands in the state. So can you talk about what has differentiated your firm um, in this very competitive field? That's a great question. And I think there are a number of factors that weigh into um, our success over the years in New Hampshire. One of them being that our collaborative relationships with a whole host of uh, architecture firms and other businesses in New Hampshire in the construction world. So although competition can come into play from time to time, uh, we take a really collaborative approach and we work with many uh, folks that might one, uh, one day be a competitor on a project and another day your team partners working on that project. So yeah. we're close together. Um, that n- good old New Hampshire, you know, six degree, one degree separation keeps us <laughs> all working, um, you know, very collegiality um, focused. Um, we also uh, have the luxury um, of depending on our past relationships. So we have 40 years of business and that has built up a wonderful relationship with so many clients. Um, I was recently doing a, a marketing piece uh, with some client um, representation on there and it, almost the whole page was filled with like 30-year relationship, 30-year relationship, 20-year relationship. Nice. The, the, the newbie was 10-year relationship. So um, our marketing data um, that's been most recently updated is 48% of our business is referral and 48% um, RVP customers. So that's a huge wow. um, piece of it. Wow. So yeah, it's it's I guess it's all about relationships. I think so. <laughs> and so when you start working with a client, you know, there's so much that, you know, I kind of alluded to in our introduction that, you know, we take our interior spaces sometimes for granted, but there are some spaces you just enter and exist in, and there's others that you have a visceral reaction to. And so can you talk about what are the steps you go through with your commercial clients and what are the discussions that you have with them that maybe they haven't even realized what they need to consider when they're going to create these spaces, particularly if they're going to be branded spaces? That's a great question. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it a little bit because it is understandable that interior design can frequently be viewed as the finished result, as in mm. there are pretty paint colors and it looks so nice and not have a full understanding of the depth that's required to get mm. to that point because sure. sometimes you can just put a 
coat of paint on the wall and wow, doesn't that look good? Paint is a wonderful material. Um, but for the reaction and the, the um, understanding that you're talking about, Matt, it really is starting a lot deeper down and further back. And that's with the programming process. So that's meeting with a client early on before a project has really even been conceived and understanding what their needs are. So um, working through space requirements, um, HR requirements, business goals, all of the parts and pieces that make uh, an organization successful that may or may not at face value seem like they're connected to an interior space. Um, Working through that and understanding what those needs are uh, at a very basic level helps us as interior designers to focus on what the end goal should be and the best path to get there. And interior design is really made up of a lot of smaller parts and pieces, but all working together in harmony. So if you touch one thing, it can have a ripple effect on all the things around it. And so when you're designing a space from the ground up, you're thinking about all the parts and pieces moving sort of simultaneously. And I feel that that's one of the advantages that interior designers sometimes have over other design professionals is that we sort of start with the details on the inside. That's where we're focused, the interior. Mm -hmm. And that allows us to um, make sure that we're capturing all of the details that make a space function well, feel good, and be the right fit for for humans to use um, or pets if we're working on a pet-related thing, <laughs> but um, the, the occupants of the space. Um, and then you work your way up because, of course, it needs to also work within the larger building envelope and, and upwards and so on. Mm. Um, but I think that um, really close-up view is critical for a successful interior design project. Neat. Um, are there, you, well, so I'll say too that you were, uh, you're a former professor of interior design as well. You spent a little time uh, teaching, but were there some sort of foundational elements or sort of golden rules of design that you would share with, with students um, that you could share with us? I would be happy to. Let's, where can we spread interior design wisdom? <laughs> <laughs> so in no particular order, mm-hmm. um, the f- couple of things that come to mind. One is that it's not, inter- good interior design is not a matter of taste and it's not a matter of natural talent. It's truly, like many other things, uh, engineering, for example, it's uh, a profession that you have learned a set of skills uh, that you then you know, execute in a professional setting. And mm. interior design really isn't any different. Um, folks that are successful in um, the type of work that we do typically need to have a four-year degree from an accredited design school, mm-hmm. a certain, you know, acumen in, in level of skills uh, in many drafting programs and nice. um, have uh, all sort of skill set that helps you move forward. Sure. So from a student perspective, um, although I think it's important, as you would in any profession, right, have a passion for the work well, that, you, yeah. you know, you, it's speaking to you, you're really excited about it. Um, you don't have to worry that you have you're natural at it. I mean, that kind of goes back to my original, like, I don't think I'm the right kid to go to an art school because, (laughs) you know, I'm not going to be painting any Picassos. Um, But that's not really what it's about. It's learning the skills to be Mm. able to move move forward. Um, So I think that's an important one. The other piece, um, which I joke with clients frequently, is that our work process is not like HGTV. We we do not not reveal anything to you at the end. Um, There's no 
blindfolds or move the truck. Uh, there is no moving of the truck. Um, in fact, that's my worst nightmare. We want the client to be well-informed and yeah. involved throughout yeah. the whole process, and there really should be no surprises mm. at all. <laughs> a little less fun, a little less dramatic, but much more practical. <laughs> right, right, and sustainable in that way. Oh, my goodness. Um, I want to, uh, well, there's, there's, I think, more businessy question that I had, but I'm really curious because I love Paris. Um, you spent some time studying in Paris. Um, where were you studying in Paris? What was that experience like those years ago? And, or is there some of that learning that has sort of stuck with you? Is there something that perhaps you've learned in Europe that you, uh, you otherwise wouldn't have received, as it were? Well, that was a wonderful experience, and of course, it was many years ago oh, at just this a point. Few. Just um, a few. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that was eye-opening uh, about living in Europe and, and traveling there is really about the integration of design uh, and the the history um, mm. that has evolved, so that it feels very natural and normal for there to be a high level of design incorporated into really everyday life. Um, and sometimes that feels a little bit different from the American approach, um, which can be sort of design as the extra or the nice to do rather than mm. the ev part of everyday life. Sure. Um, and I think that, that Europe is always wonderful um, to provide some perspective and it's really <laughs> on both ends of the spectrum because having traveled there somewhat recently with my family, it really it reminds me of what I learned all those years ago, which is that you're here surrounded by uh, all of these beautiful things that are really ancient by comparison to yeah. the United States standards. And yet they are at least 20 years ahead of us when it comes to implementing <laughs> design trends. Yeah. Um, and New England tends to be even more conservative than many uh, mm -hmm. parts of the country. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a little bit of patience um, and understand the art of compromise when you're doing design in New Hampshire in Northern New, um, New England. <laughs> but I would say, you know, having viewed many different examples of your work while they're very different from each other, obviously matching the client's needs and their brand. There's definitely an aesthetic that I can recognize as the Stibler associate aesthetic. You know, there's, it's big and bold and colorful. It's not afraid of patterns. It's, um, and you tend to bring in statement pieces, um, and uh, different materials than you might expect. So, can, am I correct in my view of that? Or how would you describe the aesthetic of your firm and what you're able to bring to these brands? I think that's a great question. I prefer to think of it a little bit less of an aesthetic and a little bit more of a level of professionalism. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, and that, But it does get reflected in a certain look. And that has to do with um, the materials that are available to us that we work with, uh, the type of quality product that isn't only based on how something looks, but how it's going to perform, the price point. It's all of those attributes that are important to bringing a project together. The reality of it, where all of our projects are working within budgets. Um, sometimes those budgets can be challenging, um, but that's the reality of, of working uh, in a, com a commercial setting. So I think that those things can be tools um, to to take advantage of, not necessarily have to be um, challenges to overcome. And so that gets reflected. The other piece that I think you 
see and uh, that I appreciate as a firm owner is a consistency of brand in the sense that you recognize a Stibler project and it doesn't matter if um, that was Helen or Janet or Molly that did it. it it's a Stibler project mm. that we're all proud of as a firm um, and we work together you know, internally very collaboratively um, and it's all for the benefit of our client, not for you know, some glory of Stibler Associates. It's, it's what's making um, their space good for what they need. So for this next question, our listeners should turn to the awesome interior section of the April issue. But Everybody get just, your copy. We'll give you a second. <laughs> but walk, I, I, I'd love to walk, have you walk us through kind of the process you went through with a particular project. So the, one of the ones that were featured in there was Win Waste, which is the second time they've asked you, actually, when they were ready to do a rebrand, they brought you back. Um, uh, can you talk about what they communicate to you about what they want to do and how you got them to where they are with this design where you really brought the outdoors inside and what that meant? So they're obviously a wonderful client. When somebody has you do their space and it really comes out beautifully and then five years later they have to move and you get to do their space again. That's pretty unusual. <laughs> Many of our clients are calling us back after 30 years and that's wonderful, but the space is not looking they, they need to call you back because it's been 30 years. <laughs> so in this case, it was like, wow, but what a dramatic shift because they got, had gone through a major brand change. And so the color palette was completely different. Um, some of their objectives were different. And so approaching a project like that, you really want to start with a strong concept. And a concept is kind of like a theme, but it's related to what the goals are, but also how are we going to get there? And then that serves as a roadmap um, so that as you're going through the design process and answering questions about what materials to use, what your color palette looks like, what the layout should should be, you're referring to your um, space programming, all the the um, technical things that you need to include, but also what does this want to look like and feel like? And that concept needs to be developed very closely with the client. So in the case um, that you're referring to, um, they're interested in um, pursuing the sustainable aspects of their business and highlighting um, all of the things that they do in relationship to sustainability. So that's a piece of it. We want to recognize the architecture that we're working in, and that's that um, CLT building. So thinking about the structure, both from a physical standpoint, an aesthetic standpoint, and then also what it what it means to be in a building that's constructed with those materials, as well as the brand itself, um, the imagery, the color palette. So how are we bringing all of these things in? And then, of course, their other space was only five years old. So, you know, it'd be good to reuse a lot of the things if we can from a furniture standpoint. Again, not that the color palette has anything to do with it. So how do we bring all of that together under one cohesive umbrella? And so thinking about things from a standpoint of the outdoors and of sustainability, that gives us a common vocabulary where things can start to make sense, where we can mix in some additional colors beyond their brand color, where we can start to do storytelling that relates not only to the type of work that they're doing, um, but also to the building itself and to um, the environment that people are looking for in an office space about having nature surround them um, and be able to um, feel at ease um, and and be able to be both productive and relaxed in a work environment. So how did you come up with the concept for this pergola area and, and what it serves and why you chose that aesthetic for them? Well, a lot of that comes from the space itself because it is, um, you know, a story and a half, um, full glass on um, two sides of that 
space. Um, a lot of the office area is saturated with their brand colors, which are black and red and can be heavy um, and, and a little bit intense. And so this was a space that was a bit apart and it's really meant to be um, a place to take a break. It's the break room, um, but let's sort of push that uh, to the next level and make it feel almost like you're going outside, which on a beautiful day uh, in the spring and summer, absolutely go outside. But you know, when it's 20 <laughs> degrees and snowing, <laughs> for, for <laughs> the majority of the New Hampshire yeah, weather days it's, are, it's yes. not so appealing. So if we can make a space that's very appealing mm -hmm. on the inside and really pull in a lot of those characteristics. We have umbrellas at the tables, the pergola um, anchoring the space in the center, and um, lighter colors, um, some you know nice quality in interior designed furniture, but that has a picnic table aesthetic to it. And just being able to create a space that uh, feels like you're at a park outdoors on a perfect day, mm -hmm. even when it's that 20 degree weather. We've seen such a shift now since the pandemic in how companies operate, how workforces are brought in or not, and hybrid. Or, and so can you talk about, have you seen a change in the type of design demands companies have? And what are some of the trends you're now seeing in how we are setting up our office spaces? That's uh, an important question and an evolving one. Um, so, I, and I know you know this from your own research that there isn't a single um, answer that all companies are going to. Mm -hmm. There is a ton of variety. And actually that's one of the things I love about interior design, full of variety. You're never doing the same thing twice. And that's um, even more true today in that companies are discovering that they really need to be customized around their office needs to their specific office culture. And so for some folks, that means that everybody is coming back to the office and they are focused on making that as great of an experience as they can. Um, you know, the break room amenities, the uh, plenty of conference rooms, people have a place to go take their Zoom calls. Um, it, it can still be one-to-one -one seating. Um, people are coming to the office every day. They've got their whole setup. Um, but that might be very different from another company who's shrinking their footprint, saying, okay, we're at a 1.5, um, two people per seat type of ratio, and making sure that things are flexible and that when people come in, they have choice. And um, I want to sit over here in this cool booth, or I want to sit over here in this privacy room, or I'm going to sit here with my team at this um, open collaborative area. And so every organization is sort of figuring out what the right fit is for them. Um, and that is really fun from an interior design perspective. Nice. I have a question on the execution of things. So your, your team is designing. Um, are you then choosing, say, the contractors or the individuals to make that space come to life? Or is that, in terms of you know there being a lot of other hands in projects, something that you don't have control over? But I'm curious about how you then ensure that what you've designed actually comes out to be the way it, it should be, as yeah. it were. So that's something that I'm sure that interior designers and, and my staff are paying close attention to because <laughs> right, we're not there with the paintbrushes and the hammers. Yeah, um, yeah. So... The way that we typically uh, work is uh, in a team approach, and this is all driven by particular clients. So the client may come already with their team in place okay. and say, "Here's our contractor. Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, here 
are all of the the vendors that we're going to use. Um, or they may say, Stibler, can you please provide us with some recommendations? We're not sure where to go with this. Uh, okay. um, sometimes, although less frequently than it used to be, mm-hmm. um, our drawings are the basis for competitive bid process. So we'll go through the design. Um, our contract documents will then be distributed to uh, you know, the shortlisted number of, of um, construction managers or general contractors that will then bid on the project. Mm-hmm. So we don't um, provide any... Um, you know, contractual um, arrangements with contractors or furniture dealers or or anybody else who's uh, actually supplying the physical aspects of mm-hmm. the project. But we're you know happy to try to play matchmaker um, and say, oh, you know, for your size project, for the scope of work you're talking about, I would contact these three. Uh, construction managers or for your project I think you're really looking at a CM here's a short list of of some really big firms that I think would be a great match so Mm -hmm. that's that's our approach neat neat well obviously you're connected in industry and and that makes sense to be able to then um, lend that expertise to your to your clients so cool so how are things going right now because (laughs) the that's the the big question industry is in such an interesting place construction continues to um be off the charts. We're, we're a very strong sector. Commercial office real estate, maybe a little more sluggish depending on the market because of where we're at and people downsizing their footprints or leaving their footprint altogether. Um, what does that mean for you? And and where where do you follow the business? So it is an unsettled time, um, and that can make things feel a little anxious, but. Really, that's not a negative for us in the sense that the unsettled piece uh, has been reflected in change. And where there's change, that's that's our space. That's where whether we're helping you to downsize, um, reimagine what your space looks like altogether. Um, some people are are growing and growing great guns. So there's been quite a bit of work. It's important for us to be flexible and nimble. Uh, so as much as we, you know, in some respects, you know, would love to work on large, glamorous design projects. Who wouldn't? We do lots of um, smaller, um, um, specific task-based projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, landlord fit-ups, um, CD sets, uh, space analysis around seating. Um, it's, you know, cool. not all of our work ends up with a beautiful picture at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just the nitty-gritty sort of get your hands dirty kind Mm, of stuff that um, is very beneficial and helpful to our clients, um, but doesn't necessarily end up showcased on our website. Um, So being versatile uh, helps us to meet clients where they're at and help them figure out what their needs are around space. And sometimes that might mean helping them figure out they don't need space at all. Um, So I think you really have to um, be able to be adaptable um, from a business model, um, but also helping your clients to have that flexibility too. And so what's your vision for the firm moving forward? It's a celebrate just 40 years, um, which is quite an accomplishment. So as you look forward with this legacy firm you have, where do you go? Well, I get very excited about the quality of work that we're able to produce. And when I think about growth, it's not really a growth in numbers. It's not that our office wants to double in size. Um, It's really about the 
quality of projects that we're able to deliver, um, the efficiency in which we're able to do that for our clients. And it's that continuous improvement mindset that we've been doing great things, but when you go back and you do, you look in the archives for 40 years, like, wow, we've come a long way. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of the, it, it's not, it doesn't sound overly exciting um, to convey that kind of slow and steady upward trend, but we have such an amazing team um, really focused on supporting them and uh, bringing projects that they can be proud of and you know, be excited to work on, um, and those things snowball and, and move us forward. Um, so I think that there'll, there'll be a natural um, expansion with things like AI, mm, um, and we've sure. already seen huge amounts of growth with uh, 3D renderings and um, virtual reality. And these things are going to continue to progress and impact our industry. And so as long as we're staying out in front of them and, um, you know, being able to bring our clients the the cutting edge, um, we're going to be in a good place moving forward. Very nice. There is nothing wrong with slow and steady. <laughs> Clearly that served you well. And, um, and we're excited, you know, for another 40 years. So Janella McDonald is president of Stibler Associates. Thank you so much for joining us, for schooling us a little bit and sharing some of the success of the firm. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much, Matt and Nathan. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group. Group.